welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today we're looking at Minute 96, which begins with Ripley continuing to pull down the levers and ends with Mother's voice saying that the ship will detonate in... Gotta wait till the next minute to find out how much time she has. And it's Monday. We start a new week with a new guest, artist, musician, user experience, interaction designer, and composer of the tonalities that begin our show, Christoph Nemeth. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well, it was funny when we were talking about doing the show and I had asked you whether there were particular minutes, you gravitated right to these kind of because of what you do. Yes. Um, And also because I remember you telling me that it really scared you when you saw this part of the movie. It did. So I'm going to sort of say, do you remember the first time you saw Alien? And I do remember, actually. Um, it was, it had to have been the year that it came out. I was 12, probably 11 or 12. And um, I was an army brat. So we were living in uh, Tacoma, Washington. And so um, we got to get onto the base to go to the movie theater because they never checked IDs. <laughs> they just let anybody in, right? And uh, so Alien was playing there, and we went and saw it, and it, you know, it flipped our little kid lids. <laughs> and because you know we were, we were, we were like those kids in Stranger Things. We were playing Dungeons and Dragons, and we loved science fiction, and we had seen advertisements for this film in the magazines that we got. Uh, also at the Army base because that was the we couldn't go into you know uh, Tower Records or tower posters and get get those magazines but on the base they had them and nobody cared if Are these like uh, monster magazines yeah, or, yeah yeah like all the all the um, eerie and fangoria and all the yeah the monster and sci-fi film magazines yeah. and it, it just we just you know we we would sit around and draw stuff like that all day long and so this came out it fit our aesthetic of space space junk right and <clears throat> monsters and it just looked amazing. And of course, you know, you don't know what the monster is. You just know that it's some kind of... So you didn't know the chestburster thing was going to happen? No, or no, you, no. You, you, were a, you were a blank tablet Absolutely, for a- Absolutely. And being that young, you would have never thought... I mean, except for some of the things that kids make up in Dungeons and Dragons, you would have never thought that you would have seen something like that. Yeah. It was just mind-blowing. And it still is viscerally horrifying every time we watch it it's like oh my god this thing was living inside of you and it when, when are you gonna show it to your kids you know i was trying to figure that out because z is 14 my daughter is 14 and um we've slowly been moving into the realm of being able to see some stuff from back then and some horrific things and my son is one of those kids much like me when i was 10 who was both enthralled and scared at the same time yeah. by this kind of stuff, yeah. you know. I, you know, I'd love for them to watch the thing. Couple but more I know years. it's going to yeah. be <laughs> You know, you you sort of like as a parent you're like I want to share this with my with my intelligent creative children, but you also don't want to blow their minds too young. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh we'll just jump into the minute then, I guess, sure. and sort of pick this thing up where um where we were previously which were those she was pulling those those two big levers down right Two big levers yeah and then crosses 
is this the bridge? Are we on the bridge? No, no this where is the, are we? This is the engine room. This is exactly what my first question to you guys was. Where in the ship are they when in, this happens? In all the written material, it is described as the engine room. So it's the engine control room. Okay. That's what she's doing. Um, you know, I, I never think too deeply about self-destruct mechanisms. <laughs> like, you but know, I when, do. when Kirk blows up. <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, when I'm stu- when I'm caught up in the movie, like when Kirk sets the Enterprise to destruct in Star Trek Three, I assume there's explosives on board meant to blow up the Enterprise. I'm mm. not sure exactly how the Enterprise is uh, destroyed there. In this case, I, I just kind of went along with it because it's a common trope. Yeah. But when you pay attention to it closer, there's even a line that she gives. You know, you don't need to read the script or the novelization to know that it's that she's she's overheating the cooling unit. She's mm. shutting off the cooling unit to overheat the what they call the light speed engines and everything that I read. So apparently these are hyperdrive engines she's going to blow up. But there's never any indication that this is the engine room. Nobody ever calls this by name. Not so in the it's movie. one more moment in this movie where we just have to hang on for the ride and, and sort of try to figure out where we are. And I never really gave it a lot of thought, you know, because right. I knew what it was she was going to do. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think much about where she was doing it. But this time I was. I was like, where where are we? Right. I think that it had Walter Hill's script uh, been stuck to more... Uh, strictly we would have gotten it from parker and parker remember from previous minutes parker gives us the exposition about we actually get the time period we get the ticking clock set for us by parker he tells us it's a 10 minute clock that we're going to be on once we set the self-destruct right there's a lot more detail to that in walter hill's script and the order is different she instead of chasing jones around uh as we see in the film she spends the time while parker and lambert are getting killed mm-hmm starting the self-destruct so that was a difference uh, a big difference it actually would have squeezed the ending of the movie quite a bit the t- ticking clock would have started before parker and lambert even got killed we would have been run yeah dead sprint to the end mm-hmm. of the movie yeah so i actually think that's that's one of the things i was going to bring up wow uh, i think that's a good change i think we needed to take a little bit more time and we really needed to establish ripley as being alone yeah uh, it's now her versus the alien right. and that's something i wanted to get to too later in the minute yeah. but yeah and I think that that's, for me, that was what made these this particular point in the movie that much more just intense and crazy. When we were re-watching the minutes this morning, it, even in a one-minute chunk, adrenaline and tension, and it was like, oh, my God, you know, you're back in that space where you realize that she's by herself and she's got to get the hell out of there. She's doing some crazy crazy stuff to to make this happen so it's really intense it is and as a five minute segment it's really interesting too because mm. i thought of this quote from um somebody asked raul walsh how to shoot an action scene mm. your action scenes are so good how do you shoot action scenes and he said well you, you take everybody up to the top of the mountain and you run them all down to the bottom of the mountain then you go back up and then you do it again mm-hmm. and when you look at this it's fascinating because it it goes one way and then it goes right back in the other direction mm-hmm. with all the same camera shots yeah. and all the same camera moves. And then it goes out again with the same camera shots. Right. And it's fascinating that there's probably, I don't know, six types of shots that make up this entire sequence. You know, it's like running down the corridor, handheld point of view, running backwards as she runs towards you, camera on a dolly going back. And each one of those moves is repeated. You know, it gets her to the place she's going and then it goes right back mm-hmm. in the same direction. And it's great because it's building this structure with symmetry yeah. without having to indicate anything overtly structural. You're just kind of you're like, oh, I kind of have seen that shot before. I've been in this place before, but at the intention mm-hmm. was different. And additionally, 
what I think makes that scene that much more intense is who hasn't been in this situation where you do something and you think you're at the end of it and you're like, oh shit, I forgot this thing or I have to start over again. And then your brain is cognizant of and your body is cognizant of having to go through this entire process all over again. And it's like those nightmares where you or in Twin Peaks when Cooper's going through the Black Lodge over and over again. Right. It's just like this nightmare scenario where you just need to get the hell out. But, oh, no, you forgot to set something. I turned, you left the house and forgot to turn the oven off, right? It's that kind of thing where you're like, oh, crap. It makes it that much more laborious and that much more intense when uh, something's trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that panel that opens up that she walks over to, I really noticed all the liquid that's on it. Mm-hmm. It's just, just dripping down the top of this thing. And you know, then it pops up and you get instructions in English and in French. Right. I don't know. Did right. you notice that? Yeah. That's pretty weird. That's something I think we should save that for a later minute because it plays in directly to the action later. But yeah, this panel is it's beautiful. Every time she comes around and we cut to that to the instruction panel, I'm right. just... It's exciting to me. I don't know why. It just looks so... Because it looks like... I've worked in a lot of factories and things in my past. It looks like something I would have seen. Mm-hmm. Only it's on a spaceship. Right. And it's... it's you know, that's again where the running theme of Alien is the familiar with mm-hmm. the uh, with the elevated uh, nature of a science fiction horror film. And it just excites me. Right. And the design of this... Uh, d- did either of you find who exactly designed this? Because I didn't. I, I actually did a little research and I couldn't find it. I just it. assumed it was Ron Cobb. It's got to be Cobb, probably. But I never found any direct reference to that. Huh. Listeners, uh, I'm sure we got some listeners out there that are on top of this kind of stuff. Uh, let us know on the Facebook page. But it's, not in that same, it's not in that same article that talks about the keypad. I couldn't find anybody's name as far as a designer. So Interesting. Anyway. But the keypad... Do we want to talk about that now? Yeah, too? that's fine. I'm, I, yeah. I, I, well, I just want to say that that because the thing pops up first, and we get sure. the first shot of the of the panel, and when you look at it, the specific directions they're very clear. Like yeah. you know, take the bolt, put the bolt in the thing, turn attach attach the bolt, adjust. You know, I mean, it's one, two, three, four, five, six. Not that we're asked necessarily to ingest that when we see the movie for the first time. I'm impressed by how thorough it is. So this is where this becomes really fascinating to me as a professional, because as a software user experience designer, human computer interaction is what I have to design. So as I've gotten older and further along in my career, this, this, this part of the film becomes that much more fascinating because not only from the graphic design layout of it you know the coolness of it looking like some kind of panel in a space factory um but you know what is this thing doing to help the user accomplish the task and it brings up some interesting things because of course whoever designed this does not want them to blow up the ship (laughs) you know this is a last ditch effort of something and so there's this there's a it's called a design pattern that you do with software where you lead the user empathetically to help get them through their their task but there's this thing called a dark pattern in which you purposely set it up for the user to either not want to do it or to make it as difficult as possible for them to do it because it's such a quote-unquote destructive act 
And this is why we get little, you know, you hit commit and then you get this warning that says, hey, do you, are you, you sure really you want to blow up that. the Nostromo? <laughs> you know, and, and so you get these little escape hatches where as a user trying to accomplish a task and do you make it easy for them or difficult for them? Obviously, Wayland Industries is not really super excited about their, losing their ship as we find out in the future, right? Right. Um, but she's still some. You still have to do it. You still have to know how to do it right. So it's not going to be super easy. And the tension that she has in operating this process, which surely they never thought someone was going to be in a life-threatening situation and had to do it quickly. Right. Right. But this isn't a casual like on your phone. There's an app for that. You'd swipe it and. Swipe it left to blow it up, swipe it right to save it. You know, it's not going to be like that. Yeah. Well, I've got to ask this, though. You say that they wouldn't have thought it through somebody having to do this quickly. Why else would somebody be doing this? Wouldn't it be an emergency situation so every single time? That, Why else would you blow up the ship? Exactly. But it's not a, what they call in my industry a casual action. Right. And um, it's not like a panic button. I mean, she has to physically do things. It's not a piece of software. She has to physically do those things to arm it like she's loading a gun. Yeah. And that's pretty four, heavy. Four duty. times. Yeah. And there's multiple things. She's got to flip the switch and the pipes come up and she's got to open it up and she's got to flip the other light in there and she's got to arm it with the bolt. That's, yeah. I mean, that's... anybody in their normal right mind would have a hard time doing that. But right. that thing could just pop, pop out anytime. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's what brings up that tension. And when you're when you're a kid watching it for the first time, you're like, oh, shit, this is me getting ready for school and I'm going to miss the bus. And when you're an adult, you're like, oh, my God, I don't if I don't get everybody out the door, we're going to miss the plane. You know, it's that type of tension that we all know what it's like to have to try to get something accomplished really quickly. And everything's fighting us. Everything's trying to do it. Yeah. And so anyhow. Well, she also so she also has to punch in a code right right mm -hmm. on the keypad, so we should talk about this keypad yeah. because it is the greatest keypad in the history of cinema. There's never been a keypad <laughs> or, to me, any sort of uh, interactive device with buttons on it that I think is cooler. And there are more than a hundred buttons on there. There are so many. Does the instruction panel have instructions on the code, or is this something that she has to have? It doesn't talk about the the the, the keying a, in stuff. It just talks about setting up the. So the maybe mechanism. that's her, you know, her identification, password yeah. access. That so so she's able to even do this. It makes you wonder though, because some of the things, some of the labeling of the keys wouldn't indicate that. Right. Because it's not it's not numerical. Is it a code like a <laughs> sentence? It's like sim that's symbols, right? It's, it's a right. symbol. It's a symbol yeah. code. So in this world, I mean, we've seen with the semiotic standard. This this world, they don't really. Other than the instruction panel that has actual words on mm -hmm. it, they seem to function more sim uh, through symbols. Yeah. And uh, their information is conveyed that way, which makes you wonder, you know, we have a seven-person crew here. Mm -hmm. They're all Americans. It kind of makes you wonder if this wouldn't have played interestingly with a mixed international crew or that would be the reasoning behind it. If there was any sort of language barrier, well, you, these symbols mm -hmm. erase that entirely. And is it French because that's the, I don't know, international language of diplomacy or something? Why isn't it in Japanese? <laughs> it's Weyland-Yutani. You would right. think yeah. it would be English and, and Japanese. On the instruction panel, we have English on the left and French on the right for the instructions of how to work it. On the keypad, it's a lot of Sanskrit words. Which, you know, they're not thinking about Blu-rays and 
internet and still screenshots and things. So this was just fun right. yeah, on the bar. Yeah. But she's pushing buttons that say things like prana lift or pranic lift. Where did which, you find where did you find that out? So it's on the typeset in the future article that circulated a lot on the internet and has been on our Facebook page. It's uh, by Dave Addy. Primarily it's about fonts and all the f- different interesting fonts that are used throughout. But he goes into some deep analysis of this whole sequence that we're in. Part of which we're going to need to wait until she comes back to talk about. But he does point out, he's, he screen caps a lot of the shots of the keypad. And we get some really interesting stuff. And I'm just going to list a few of them here. So like I said, there's pranic lift, which prana is like life, life force. So that's interesting. Uh, Padme, which is Sanskrit and, or for Hindu for lotus flower, but for those Star Wars fans out there, um, it's really the button you push if you want Natalie Portman's voice to be the computer and speak <laughs> in a droning voice. Sorry, um, blow me up like you did by the lake on Naboo. <laughs> so, uh, Shakti excess. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Yeah. That this is the buttons that she's pushing, or at least, I, you know, I'm not, actually now I'm not sure if she's pushing all of them, but they're all there. Yeah. So I find that very interesting, but it's, I'm not sure how much meaning to put in it. Pranic lift, that's very interesting. Like yeah. This is her life-saving measure that she's taking right here. So, But yeah, we got to point that stuff. The design of this keyboard is so, it's beautiful. And then we should just add that it's all augmented by really cool sound. I mean, Mother is telling us, Mother is giving us a play-by-play right. of how much time they have before this thing mm-hmm. blows up and when you can counterman the, the command. And all of that adds to this chaos that makes this next five minutes just so crazy yeah absolutely i think that probably brings us to the end of the minute unless you have do you you have anything else um i think the only since you mentioned mother the 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 thing that uh i I was noticing and it's and it goes back to this odd relationship that humans and technology have where technology is designed to soothe the human it's supposed to not make it more uh, not make their situation more uh, troublesome than it really is. So, for example, you know, you've got mother speaking urgently, but it's also nobody's screaming, right? It's 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 a message of uh, calm deliberation, you know. And you think back, okay, well, where has this happened before in science fiction? Hal's voice is yeah. very, you know, it's not alarming. I'm not going to alarm you. And there's this certain. <sighs> I don't know if it carries over from 70s brutalism uh, as far as this fear of technology and how, no, no, technology's here to, to help you. But that's it's especially apparent in here that, you know, the juxtaposition of this intense moment that she's going through with this voice is, yeah, the ship's about to blow. Yeah. You got about 30 seconds. So it's a female voice to like the computer in Star Trek. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's supposed to be working. It's a lot more soothing than the original story. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But it's yeah, still female. We can't let this minute go by either. We've it's a very technical minute that we've been in here, but I uh, I don't think we should let it go by without talking about Scorning Weaver's performance. Yeah. Because there's a very specific moment about 40 seconds into this minute where here we have Ripley who's very businesslike throughout most of the film. We do see bits of emotion crack here and there specifically maybe most recently with uh ash when she ash attacks her in mother and she kind of breaks down for a second but here she's going through this procedure of doing the self-destruct and there's this very distinct moment where i think it hits her it Mm -hmm. all hits her and you see it 
kind of well up and she yeah. continues on with what she's doing, but she starts to cry a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's shaking a little bit. And again, I think we've said this a few times. This is what elevates Sigourney Weaver's performance. Why Ripley is mm-hmm. to me, the greatest action hero in cinema history is because she's able to, to reveal this vulnerability and never, it never sells out the character. Mm-hmm. It's always, tr- it always rings true. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of those subtle moments that could go right past you. I mean, you right. might be more interested in the action and not really pay attention that much to it. She or has almost it, no lines for the next 17 minutes of the movie. And yeah, she's only all, muttering to herself in a couple of instances. So, she, so it's a totally physical, emotional, mm-hmm. nonverbal performance, which is pretty great. And by a person who now is carrying a movie on her shoulders without ever having really been in any, <laughs> short of yeah, short of a true. very, very, very it's wide true. shot in Annie Hall. Here she is carrying a giant it's science fiction mm-hmm. blockbuster on her shoulders and doing it, knocking it out of the park. And it could very well be the lack of affectation, the lack of, you know, she's just bringing herself into the role. And right. that could very well be why it's so successful. I don't know. But uh, just I couldn't let this minute go by without pointing out again yeah. how amazing yeah. she is. Okay. Well, uh, Christoph, did you want to re- uh, let the people know where they can find you on the internet? Yeah. Um, well, like most people these days, it's usually on Facebook. So um, I uh, am, am, am proud to say that I'm in uh, a couple of local bands here in Kansas City that are uh, trying to do some good work. And uh, you can find those particular uh, musical endeavors under the names Emmeline Twist and abandoned bells all right and we'll put the we'll definitely post those on the listeners page too great thank you for links and of course you can find us at alienminute.com. uh follow us on twitter at alien minute pod or on instagram at alien minute podcast uh come over to our patreon page we're doing some extra supplemental episodes on weekends uh contribute over there and you can join in on the fun and uh we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 97